Purely decorative grass is on its way out in California. State legislators passed a bill this week banning non-functional turf in specific locations irrigated with drinking water. That includes grass growing outside of businesses in medians along roads, parking lots, and in common areas of homeowner associations. In Southern California, the move is estimated to save 10% on water usage. The bill still needs to be signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom, but even the restrictions won't start until 2027. They will be instituted in phases throughout 2031. It's important to note that residential lawns are not affected by this legislation. Welcome to the CEO briefing. Uh, This illustrates the problem in California, um, which is that they're trying desperately to save on water, but it's going to take forever. And um, yes, incrementally, it'll start to help. But there is a real problem and we need to do more to recycle at every level, not just in this case at mostly governmental level. Here. So with that, let's get going with the party. And here we go. Okay, we are September 14th, briefing number 228, and water is the people's asset. Moving on, we have the usual disclaimers. So uh, as I advertised earlier today, what's going on in real estate? What's happening here? Um, we have uh, mixed signals. I have a brother who works for a mortgage financing company. They manage something like a $60 billion portfolio. So he knows a fair amount. A lot of this I got from him. So let's take a look. I'm going to play a video I just received today. As we've been predicting for months, inflation isn't dead. It's not even resting. In fact, it is rising again. Will the Fed finally go full goblin mode? Fresh numbers from the BLS reported month-on-month inflation at 0.6% for August. That's a 7.5% annualized pace. Core inflation came in lower at 0.3, but even that was double last month, also an acceleration. By the way, that marks fully two years that core has been above 4%. Services inflation, which the Fed was hail-marrying as a savior, re-accelerated to the fastest pace in five months. What sent inflation soaring again was food, gasoline up 10.5% on the month, rent up now 40 consecutive months, and a special appearance by car insurance, which leapt 19% in a year. That's the biggest jump since 1976, when Jimmy Carter was still fiddling with his thermostat in the dark. Used car prices kept falling, Perhaps because people can no longer afford to drive, you will ride a bicycle and you will be happy. What is hitting food is a worsening drought in the Midwest. What's hitting gasoline is production cuts by Saudi Arabia, Russia, and their OPEC friends. Plus, of course, Joe Biden, who pays his activists by impoverishing you. The Saudis are upset that Biden drained the Strategic Petroleum Reserve without warning them which he did to buy the midterm elections with cheap gas. Biden did that on purpose, of course. You can't buy an election if the Saudis reverse your drain, but it costs the Saudis a lot of money and they feel betrayed by Biden, as many of us do. So what is next? The Fed is meeting next week to consider rate hikes. The great debate had been whether they wait and see 
with a bias towards more hikes or wait and see with a bias to cutting. The key trade-off being if the economy is strong, they lean towards hikes. And if inflation keeps going, even if it's just stuck, they also lean towards hikes. I mentioned recently why, when it comes to inflation, a tie is a loss for the Fed. Because they're afraid that the longer inflation keeps going, the more it becomes entrenched and harder to kill. Because it gets baked in to prices, long-term contracts, and salary negotiations. We're actually seeing that right now with auto workers demanding a 50% pay hike from Detroit. So with those stakes, recent GDP strength, fortified by trillion dollar deficits, was already putting the Fed off its meals. Now with inflation not only stuck but re-accelerating, that's one more factor to distend the Fed's delicate constitution, send them reaching for those rate hikes. Because above all, the Fed is afraid of being head faked again, with inflation falling only to resurge as they were in 2021 and 2022, each time thinking they had turned the corner only to disappoint us all. I've mentioned in recent videos that as much as the Fed is living on borrowed time in terms of inflation, the longer it lasts, the longer it stays, they're also living on borrowed time in terms of the recession, given the typical 18-month lag between rate hike and economic devastation. So, on both counts, this supposed Goldilocks economy we're all enjoying is running out of time. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time. That is fascinating, and there's more to uh, say. Um, this is a Ross rant, those of you who know. It's a subscription that um, certain people get um, access to. And Ross, um, the Ross rant is, here it is. So this is just an excerpt from it, of course. Interesting new phenomenon happening in apartment market, suburban rents outpacing urban rents in many markets. Uh, of course, this is COVID, leaving people living in the cities. So urban rents are up in Portland, only 2%, but in suburban, 23%. And of course, the more mortgage rates rise, the more people rent. House rents are up 5% nationwide. Um, goes on about a lot of stuff which you can scan yourself. But basically, major cities are losing population. Cities, city budgets cannot afford this loss of wage earners. Unfortunately, liberal suburbs have passed rent control laws. The idiots learn nothing from the New York City rent control experience. And uh, apartment rents are rising to the level of house rents. The lease growth is still 2.1%. Basically, rent is moving up um, in the in, in America. The commercial real estate market is showing slightly negative returns due to office issues. Retail continues to do okay. All right. All prices, of course, are rising. Um, there's no more strategic petroleum reserve. Thank you very much. Um, and you know, all prices are on the way up, and nothing is going to stop it. Um, and added to that, of course, is the cancellation of Alaskan oil leases, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Um, I'm not going to get into who's right and who's wrong, but the fact is that oil supplies are being suppressed for a number of reasons, including our antagonism to oil producers. Fertilizer costs are a hidden part of the oil prices issue because they are oil-based, which makes food prices rise. And here we go. Um, UAW, uh, United Auto Workers are in negotiations. Mortgage rates, oh my God. You know, um, I have a good basic mortgage. 
then I have a HELOC. Fortunately, it's only a quarter million dollars. Well, that HELOC is not up to nine and a half percent. I was like, oh, kill me now. And unfortunately, it looks like rates are going to go up from here. Now, there's a whole discussion about how you know UAW is losing because of the push for EV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. The bottom line is, that before I move on to the next graph, is that um, we are looking at more Fed rate hikes. And my the theory about rate hikes is that they are a car. They, they're basically... The reason we the rates are so high is because of the um, the Fed is trying to support the dollar, and so if the dollar is earning very high, you know, percentage rates, people will keep buying the dollar. That's my theory. It's not this thing about inflation. That's kind of BS. But anyway, let's keep on going here. We have a problem in the G7 in that our GDP um, is, as a percentage of global GDP, is dropping, and the BRICS plus. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia, uh, sorry, South Africa, with now BRICS Plus, adding Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Iran, Egypt, Ethiopia, and UAE, there'll be more coming, will end up having a very large percentage of total GDP. I think this is a very bad sign for us, but here we go. Again, our policies of antagonism are not doing much good. Uh, now, let's talk about origination counts. This is used by professionals to gauge what's going on in the market. These are mortgage originations. Refis, of course, are predictably down. They've continued to bottom out uh, from a high in 2003 um, of about 15,000, 16,000. Now I'm down to 2,000, so that's pretty dramatic. Um, purchase counts are kind of noodling along in a low range, but they're not as significantly bad. So refinance is a real problem. All right. Um, New residential construction um, permits are down, starts are flat, completions are flat. All right, let's take a look at newly listed homes. Now, this is an interesting graph because it shows how seasonally uh, listings grow, grow, grow into the spring and then drop into the end of the year. Now, what's weird is that 2023 started low, but is on its way up. That's an interesting trend. So it's bucking the trend seasonally, but of course, year over year is down seven and a half percent. But there's cause for optimism there. All right. So before I go on to Maui, the it's a horrendous uh, human tragedy. Um, I just wanted to comment that, and real estate goes basically, it's a roll of the dice right now. People are sitting on their real estate without movement. There's no market. And as a result, it's becoming stagnant. And so, of course, you know where I think we should be investing, but that's just me. I happen to be a real estate owner. I am totally for real estate ownership, but I know I can't buy another. Uh, I'd have to my home. I'd have to get a home uh, one third less to get the same mortgage. So that's not going to work. And so I'll just sit on my lovely condo that we're very happy in. People are going to be liking where they're living. Let's see. Okay, Maui, why self-reliance and water matters? I've been preaching self-reliance and decentralization for how long? Hear from a progressive organizer in Maui. What's happening right now? 
it epitomizes plantation disaster capitalism. Because here we have a handful of incredibly privileged, large landed interests using this terrible tragedy to displace and to push through laws that they were unable to secure um, when Hawaii State Water Code was in place. You've raised the issue of the governor wasting no time in issuing emergency proclamations as the wildfires continue to burn. Can you talk about why this is significant? So to provide some context, in Hawaii, we have a public trust doctrine, which means that our water resources are managed for present and future generations and cannot be owned by any individual, which, of course, was predictably opposed by industry interests and development interests, but they were unsuccessful. And in June 22. 2022, additional permit protections were put into place, and many folks, Native Hawaiians, who have superior rights but who've rights, whose rights have been ignored, were able to come forward and begin a permitting process. Unfortunately, those existing water use permit applications were due on Monday, August 7th, and the fire ravaged Lahaina on Tuesday, August 8th. And then on Wednesday, August 9th, the governor's office issued these emergency proclamations which suspended the water code. What they were unable to accomplish legally, they were able to accomplish with the support of the governor and the emergency proclamation. We can't just throw out all of the, th- all of the laws and other things that help to protect our resources um, when disaster strikes. We as a community need to circle up, we need to come together, and we need to... Um, lean into each other and really look to and embrace the principles that have innate, like Aloha Aina, that had, have enabled us to thrive here in Hawaii for a millennium. Wow. You know, terrible thing going on, but part of it is that um, the state is supposed to be the trust- trustee for water. And here it's failed miserably. Uh, I'm not going to go into the causes of the fire, et cetera. This is a whole other rabbit hole. But what's for sure is that uh, the government has used this as an opportunity to um, negate these trust-holding laws that the um, vested interests don't like. So again, the problem with government is it can be subverted. Being dependent upon government for your water is going to be a long-term problem. That's just pretty obvious by now. All right, let's continue here. And um, okay, this is kind of cute, but it's also true. Some of you have seen this already. Women have no idea how often the men in their lives think about the Roman Empire. So I asked my husband, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And without a missing a beat, he said every day. I think about the Roman Empire, but sorry, not every day. But anyway, but this was posted by my friend Alex Lightman, and he does think about the Roman Empire every day. Why? Well, Rome, its population dropped from over 1 million to under 10,000. Why? Because the water supply was destroyed. Here he says... When the fake U.S. government, fake U.S. dollar, fake U.S. central bank, et cetera, fall, what's the equivalent in the U.S.? Rome lost 99%. Gibbons, author of The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which was published in 1776, interestingly enough, would have recognized very much in line with Rome after it turned from a democracy. A democracy is a rule by the, the, the wise. It means either rule by those who, by landowners or rule by the wise. And some, of course, back then, People thought that landowners were the wise ones. But anyway, uh, it turned from a democracy to a kleptocracy, which is ruled by thieves. Unfortunately, that's what we're living with today. All right, continuing on, I just thought I would put this out there. Real estate agents be like, put your hopes into a, a home, not a man. So uh, that's on a lighter note, I'm, I'm letting the whole conversation about real estate agents, about real estate go with this last crack. With that, 
I have an article on uh, nine ways to make cities better in Bloomberg. And let's take a look at the categories here. Convert offices. Now, I've the minute we had the crash, the office crash, people started living remote. I predicted that offices would get would be converted to condos. And sure enough, that's a recommendation there. Um, a bunch of different ideas here. But number seven is recycle water and apartment buildings. And sure enough, there's on-site non-potable reuse, which has offices, et cetera, storing used water and recycling it. And this is happening. This is a visit that was made to a particular site. San Francisco has required that new buildings larger than a quarter million square feet must have the recycling. And now it's 100,000 square feet, which is pretty small. Today, at least 66 of these decentralized systems have permits or are under development across the city. So they're trying very hard to um, extend these. Epic Clean Tech uh, likes to work with governments. We don't do that. Uh, I wish them luck. It's a long road to hoe, but they're they're doing a good job. And they are getting, they got some traction in San Francisco and they're working on other states, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Minnesota, Washington, et cetera. So this is good. It's basically, again, decentralization is leading to water reuse. All right, a quick podcast. And given the time, I'm going to just do one today because I think it's our, our, our briefings have gone too long. I have two teed up, but I'll just do one that way we can have a nice conversation afterwards with Ken and AJ. Here we go. Origin Clear, it has an extremely clear mission. Why don't you walk us through its inception and kind of lay in there how fintech has played a role from the start? Right. So from the start, we were um, we worked with a fund that that by design they take companies public from day one. So you're in the public markets and you raise all your money, which means you'll never have a VC. VC is like you're anathema because the minute you're public, they're like, well, why am I talking to you? You already did it. You screwed the pooch. Uh -huh. So then you're dealing primarily with retail accredited investors. And we became very, very good at raising money from retail accredited investors, which we've since leveraged into this unique position as the only water as a service player that regular investors can invest in with this um, oil well type model. So, but that didn't obviously happen overnight. Uh, when I say we, you know, basically the team grew on two sides. One side was the technology side. And we, we acquired a company that is very strong in McKinney, Texas, and they, they build very large decentralized systems for a certain car company, a certain wholesale distribution <laughs> company, we can't tell about, we can't talk about any of them because that's that kind of client, right? So kind of the ones that we've kind of been dancing around this whole time, right? Yeah, I don't and, know what you're talking about. So, I really, so, don't. <laughs> I really have no idea what you're talking about. But, I mean, help us understand like the overarching mission of of Origin Clear. We've talked about all the, how you got there, the technology you're using, the way you're delivering it to the marketplace, what is the overarching mission of Origin Clear? What we became was the Clean Water Innovation Hub. In other words, we see ourselves as an idea lab. Uh, if you were around in the 90s, you know, you passed as idea lab, Bill Gross. I mean, it, great thing while it lasted. Well, we think that, that the water industry needs that. It's very incubation poor. So technologies are forced to kind of just beat it out on their own. It's not very friendly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the first thing we've done is created this water on demand. And now we're beefing it up. Back in April, we merged our modular water systems unit in with it. So it gave it some revenue and more to come on that. So we're basically creating kids that go off to college and they end up hopefully on the NASDAQ and so forth and so on. And we just keep feeding more through and we be, start becoming good at it. So that's really the model that we've settled out as works very well because Origin Clear is inherently, because of my easily bored nature, we're constantly thinking of innovative things. So why not make that our business? And that's what it is. So we have our technologists. We also have really wonderful people at the corporate level, like, uh, like Ken Berenger, who helped me create Water On Demand, deeply involved with our, our bench of amazing investors, you know, really great CFO. We have a good, good, small team. Eventually, once these companies turn into NASDAQ companies, that's our, of course, our hope and, and dream. And I can point your audience to a January announcement we made on Origin Clear's announcement page about an LOI to potentially combine with a SPAC, about which I can say no more than that. The <laughs> LOI is the sum total of what I can say, but it does say that we are working on a plan to get these 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 kids of ours. Uh, you know, properly set up with a great career ahead of them. That's kind of a, that's kind of our mission. Uh, I did take a look at that that uh, announcement and had me thinking a little bit. And how would you differentiate yourself from like a Y Combinator style thing? How would you how would you see yourself being different from the incubator traditional technology incubator? I, I admire Y Combinator tremendously. Um, the model is a bit different. It's more like young sproutlings that go to Y Combinator College and get kind of like triaged out and you get the best of the best. In the water industry, what we have is we have a lot of local water companies that are, because of decentralization, are becoming more and more important. And so these are more veterans. These are 55-year-old people. They have 20, 30 years ahead of them. They don't want to retire. They And so there's an opportunity to take what they've got and um, either roll it up into one of our entities or to develop it as its own thing, depending on how unique the technology is really. And so we're really working more with, with more mature players. We don't necessarily want to take them to the Y Combinator College. Kind of want to go, look, you know, we got this. We're going to take you and um, you're going to go through uh, Regulation A, which I love, the whole crowdfunding thing. is very powerful these days. Um, or we're going to take you potentially on a fast track to NASDAQ. That's not simple. It's not simple. It's yeah. very hard to get on NASDAQ these days, but there are ways. So essentially, we will be your liquidity engineer. And um, no pun so, intended. <laughs> right? But the liquidity engineering is a term that I invented when I was actually trying to do exactly that during the dot-com, post-dot-com crash for a, um, a group called Net Catalyst. You know, had some really... Great players. Anyway, being being an ambulance and a uh, or a fire truck post two thousand was really frustrating because nobody listened to you. It was like <laughs> whatever. It was it was chaos. But the term liquidity engineering stuck, and it's very true that that's what we're talking about here. Well, you you've hit on a number of things, and and I think I'd like to shift over to understand how you're seeing this innovation. And these innovative solutions benefiting the, the broader market when it comes to these folks wanting to continue to move forward. 
throughout their throughout their experience. I tell you that the model we know is the as as debased as it's become is the OTC over the counter model, right? Raising money on the on the over counter market does work. I it's become more and more painful because there's been so much abuse. So um, it's not ideal. It does work. Um, I think that that what has emerged again is the strength of the uh, Regulation A, which is non-accredited investors. I mean, you have wonderful success stories like Nightscope with a K. Nightscope, they have um, security robots. They raised $120 million from unaccredited investors. Look at Boxable. They've done a similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. So really great way to go. There, you have to be a real marketer, man. You got to know your marketing cold. And now we spend a lot of time learning how to do that and building funnels and Facebook advertising, all the, all the stuff. Well, what's great about Reg A is you can go directly onto the NASDAQ if you do it right. And I'm a strong believer that you have to get it. You have to go to the NASDAQ. That's the legitimate market. It's a tough market to, to, to meet the requirements, but that's also a benefit because once you're NASDAQ, you, there's a certain like, okay, you're legit. You, you, you get, you get finance, you get, you get institutional following, you get, um, you know, real investors, you get, you know, you get a, a, a portfolio managers looking at you, things like that. So it's a different game. And at the end of the day, that's what, that's, that's, I think the gold ring. And, and, you know, as, as I think about this, you know, the U S isn't the only place that we're looking at water differently. How are you prioritizing all these projects that you're bringing in to origin clear especially with it being global and continuing to intensify? Well, at the moment, we're doing kind of the first wave, right? I call myself an incubator, but basically we're taking this, the, the assets we've created to date, which generated roughly $10 million last year in revenue up from about four the year before. So a nice big jump, which is unusual in water. It's very hard to jump that fast Turn the, and monetize those. And that's, we need to have a first, these are the guys who, these are the guys who blah, blah, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Combinator is strong because they did a great job with Airbnb and Stripe and, and many others. They're the guys who, and you got to have that. So that's what we're focusing on right now. We're not bringing in new stuff until we've gotten that accomplishment under our belts and we'll have walked the walk. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. Now, what does that mean? It means that People who are interested in becoming involved with water, the transformation of water, get to participate right now with what we're doing. And because it's, we're still early stage, we give people participations that are just stunning, you know, and well, and they can tell we execute. So it's a, it's a, it's a great time to get a really good premium on your investment, really good, with people who are competent because we still need those gold records on the wall. I'm, I'm looking at this and, you know, we've talked about prioritization, but really what it comes into a lot of these things that we work with, sustainability and being able to continue to grow and make sure that it's scalable. How are you ensuring that these solutions you're, you're bringing to market maintain the sustainability and continue to be scalable? That's where capital comes in. We've put together an acquisition slate. Essentially, it's going to be buy versus build. You can't build this stuff fast enough. For example, water on demand 
billing somebody on, on the meter, well, you better have network management software. What about if they stop paying? You can't do, oh, I better go in and, no, it's like tick, 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 right? It's, it's got to be that way. So fintech relies on software. And so there's the software side. There's um, also acquisitions for our supply chain so we can scale up without worrying about, we constantly run up against limitations that fabricators, oh, I don't have the capacity, you know, and it's like, okay, you know what? We're just going to own some, we're going to do some vertical integration here. So we have a slate of acquisitions that given a certain amount of capital, let's assume $20 million in, in cash plus X amount of stock, gets us, we've calculated, to $100 million incremental um, between now and 2026 in hmm. incremental revenue. And without counting the synergistic effect of the all these divisions working together, but just acquiring fabricators, uh, engineering companies, so that we don't have to hire engineers, a working team, right? Uh, service companies for the operations and maintenance. And of course, software companies for the network management. All these things, we have that slate all ready to go. And at this point, it's all about, you know, getting our, our, our um, investors on board with it. Because we know we can, we can execute. We've done it, acquisition before. We know how to do it. And that's the solution, frankly. Scaling up is all about acquisitions. If you want to know my the, the model that I loved was uh, Cisco in the 90s did an amazing job of roll-ups because because I was I I was involved with some liquidity events in the 90s and I saw a tremendous amount of destruction happen when the company that I was involved with got sold and the people who bought it basically trashed. Cisco didn't do that. Cisco had this model where they would parachute a team in to the acquisition and mm-hmm. do the very good at integration and generally highly successful. That's our next lifetime, really hopefully in 2024, is we really get busy with acquisitions. If you were to pick out like one, I mean, you've had such a broad experience across many different areas, entrepreneurial as well as in the corporate environment. If you were to pick out one thing, one experience that stands out to you that that really is, is helped shape the way you look at things, the way you look at these companies that you look to bring in to Origin Clear, what would that be and why? The learning experience we had when we moved into water, we were technology focused and we had a technology that migrated from the algae space, which was to extract the algae from the water. And now we were extracting sewage from water, great. And it used basically advanced electrolysis. Um, and we had a technology specific business. And we slowly started to realize that, you know, in the water industry, literally, and we heard this told to us in no uncertain terms, it takes 12 to 15 years for a technology to become adopted in the water industry. We're like, no, I don't think so. I'm not interested. And so ultimately, my co-founder, Nicholas, who created this technology, went off on his own and we happily let him have what what we developed to date and he went on to do pretty well for him you know uh which means he sold some he he's, he he made some sales but not at the level he, he and his partner michael were very happy to do what they did and then they succeeded but it would not have been a great public company what we realized was that we had to have a better commercial model in order to succeed at the as 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 I'm not going to say unicorn because that's you know being immodest, 
but at least to be a $100 million company. Because once you're a $100 million company in the water industry, the PE firms love you, the, the mm-hmm. big water companies buy you. That's kind of the level. To get there, licensing technology was never going to get us there. So that's when we, we turned to technology execution with the actual users, with the decentralized uh, revolution, and the finance piece that makes it a commercial model. And I'm very comfortable with that. So that was an epiphany. There's a very good book called Inside the Tornado, which is about different stages of a, of a tech life cycle. What's interesting about that is at each stage, you have to be a different company, right? The, the very early stage with the early adopters, the kind of people who buy Newton PDAs, you know, those people, that you have to be really wild and crazy. And then you turn into the strategic buyers and there you become very whole product and it's got to be complete and this and that. And then da, 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 da. And each phase, you'd be, you're a different company and you got to essentially reinvent yourself in order to continue to appeal to the audience that is currently adopting you. And that's, that was a change that we made and we're very, very happy with it. We think that we're in a position to be the dominant player in the mid-range self-reliant water treatment, industrial water treatment space with this financial, it's kind of like GM, GM financial, right? So GM financial, GM. GM can, can exist without GM Financial, but it's incredibly better, and they get so much business because of the, having GM Financial, in addition to, of course, much more profit. Is there anything specifically that you want the audience to hear and understand about Origin Clear? It's been said um, by, it's a quote on, um, on a Forbes Council article, do what you will with that. But the, the person who wrote this said the first trillionaire will be in water. Well, we don't believe in that. We think there should be a million millionaires. In other words, we want to be, we have this new tagline, Origin Clear. New tagline is water is the people's asset. We believe that water is going to be huge. It's starting to generate unicorns already. But these unicorns are high level. They're, they're you know, PE firms. They're blah, blah, blah. They're not, or VC. They're not open to you, the ordinary investor. We are. We want to build a, a wave of adoption of decentralized water treatment by businesses funded by these paper gallon water service systems, funded by the everyday investor who gets annuities and equity that reward him tremendously for being a pioneer in this area. If you were to give one piece of advice and you had to narrow it all the way down to just one sentence, what would that be? I have a motto, which is overkill works. And I use that a lot, you know, overkill works because you don't know what's going to work. But the one thing that I thought of right away when you asked that question was, don't hesitate to get in trouble. Oh, I love that. Invite trouble, right? And, you know, use your wits, whatever, you know, you'll get through it. But if you don't get in trouble, then you will not challenge the limits of your your particular vertical. Mm Mm-hmm. And you will remain mired in the business as usual. So get in trouble. Now that made me think of one other question, right? Um, considering all the challenges that are going on in fintech, and you mentioned one with the SEC to be used as an example. What strategy would you recommend that these future millionaires, billionaires, and trillionaires that are diving in to fintech, what strategy would you recommend that they use to keep moving forward. Okay, the first thing is to, to look at what Peter Thiel has said, which is you either have a, a, an N plus one business or a zero plus one business. 
N plus one is where you're building on existing. You're creating another Amazon business. Fine. You're, you're um, leveraging, you're becoming another credit card merchant, although those are disappearing <laughs> fast. But you're, it's incremental, right? You should be able to make money, be profitable very quickly because it's, you're just using existing momentum and nobody is considering it brand new. Or are you zero plus one? In which case, you're going to have to think about how do I break the mold and most importantly, get the capital to do so. Because a zero plus one requires capital. No question about it. And you're going to have to have a pathway. Go to Y Combinator if you want. But um, I personally, if I were starting fresh today, I would go with the Regulation A crowdfunding model. I think that's the most powerful there is. Because it levels the playing field. If you're a good marketer, boom. As long as you can execute, you're good. That really enables really creative people <clears throat> to appeal to to build, you know, 10, 20,000 investors, each of which did a thousand or $5,000. And pretty soon you got a big company and you're on the NASDAQ. So that, that is the path that I would take if I was starting fresh today. Well, we've had a deep dive today, folks, with Riggs Eckleberry from Origin Clear. And it is clear that the future of water is intertwined so deeply with fintech. And it's a journey that we should all be very attentive to. And Riggs, thank you so much for being on today. Ted, it's been so interesting and a great pleasure spending a small hour with you. I'm Ted Huff, and we'll see you next time on Fintech Confidential. I love this guy because he, he of course, asks great questions. I have another podcast teed up, but I don't want to do that. I think that going over an hour is a problem. I want to give lots of time for our free-willing discussion. And so with that, I'm going to invite Ken and AJ. Jump in, gentlemen. So I wanted to talk a little bit about real estate because I, I collated a lot of information there. Um, and what we have is a, a weird market, right? A weird market where we have high, high real estate prices, but not a lot of motion, a lot of, not a lot of dynamism. It's a very static market. Uh, refis, as you saw, are crashing. Purchases are almost gone. Um, All purchases are flat, okay? And uh, you saw the new listings while they were disastrously low during the normal high spring to summer period, they did. They are continuing to rise. So the, there's life in the market. The problem is that um, the Fed is obsessed with raising rates. They have at least two more rate hikes in, uh, baked in. If you're a mortgage broker, like if you're a realtor, I guess you're okay, right? Because if you're going to buy, you're going to buy, right? But if you're a mortgage broker who relies on two-thirds of their business being refinanced, it's brutal. It's you know, it's really, really tough. Yes, the man, the myth, the legend, and we're here. <laughs> and we are. Willie Miller, you're asking me to comment on something I cannot comment on. If you want to discuss anything that's under NDA, you've got to talk to Ken. That is just how it is. We were on real estate uh, when you when you came in and uh, concluding that the real estate market, which is the most important asset that any American will have in his lifetime, right? It's going to be his, his primary home. And then if he adds vacation home, rental homes, whatever, uh, invest in a, in, a, in a REIT, all of that adds up to um, his most, his or her most uh, ready asset. And it's a good one. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's grinding to a halt because of the um, extraordinary interest rates. I was mentioning that my HELOC is up to nine and a half percent and it's going up from here. 
And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm glad it's only a quarter million dollars because uh, I'll live with it short term. But, uh, and a lot, I think a lot of people are there, like, you know, they're just going to grit their teeth and wait for it to get better. My theory is that um, the the Fed is doing this not for inflation because it's not going to cure inflation. Inflation is happening no matter what for, for many other reasons. Um, it's because they want people to make a lot of money from holding dollars. There's a concern that dollars are becoming less interesting, that the petrodollar is fading away. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia doing direct business with China or direct business, okay. not going through petrodollar. There's not going to be a BRICS currency because they can't agree on anything. Forget that. You know, <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. What Nobody's going to agree to have China in charge of anything, right? right. However, they'll start doing direct deals, right? They'll just start doing yep. deals and, and it'll be commodity-backed. So, um, you know, because these are all commodity-rich countries, I think the BRICS is something like 80% of all, um, of 90% of all oil assets are held by BRICS countries, BRICS plus countries. So that's what I think is going on. And as a result, I don't think it's going to stop soon because they have to keep the dollar going. Mm -hmm. So, however, there is going to be continued dramatic weakening of the dollar. Look, I'm still a big believer that if you're a novice investor, the only way to get ahead, I mean, you and I tried to do it fast with crypto. It was really ugly. I mean, well, I've, all got Russia's now, us. I've got 20, I've got 24 years of write-offs right now, okay? <laughs> um, which is fabulous, right? At $3,000 a year, you know? No, you're going to have to make real money. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about it. Anyway, uh, so the, the my point is, if you're a novice investor, assets are really the only smart thing to do because you don't have to be super smart, right? Um, you know, watching the box every day. You know, if you have a day job, you can't watch the market all day. You can't trade around. You can't mess around. So um, if, if you have a set it and forget it mentality, um, sure, mutual funds, sure, you can do that stuff, but you have to have a stomach for it, right? Um, and, you know, and you have to have a, you have to have a, 10 or 15 year horizon at the very, very least. Okay. Um, but with, you know, with, with assets, it's a different animal. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm buying real estate now, right. I'm still doing that, but I believe that for the average investor, when I say the average investor, I mean, guys who aren't going to lay out a couple of million dollars in real estate and become a landlord and manage cash flow, you know, that becomes complicated as well. I believe that, you know, these types of revenue generating assets are going to be where it's at. I believe personally that as we as we transition to this next phase of our life, like you said, when we reinvent ourselves, right, when we hit that that level, um, we, we hope to get these activities acquisitions done uh, and all that other stuff. We'll be able to talk to an audience that manages a trillion dollars or so, and they're in commercial real estate and oil and gas right now, Riggs. They're not real happy. And they can't be too stable about the future. Offering them a, brand, a, a glimpse into a brand new asset class that could provide them an, you know, inflation-protected income or inflation-defensive income, at least, uh, every bit as good as real estate and energy, um, at the bottom is just phenomenal, right? And I think that's going to be an exciting conversation that we're going to have in 2024. And, you know, again, it comes back to the water thing because water does not have these ebbs and flows. It's not highly political. The demand only increases for it and uh, it's turning into an asset. 
Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you. And AJ, I will try not to spring this on you in the future. Uh, no, it's, it's totally fine. Again, I think it's probably just a holdover setting from last time. I guess my, my only addition to, to any of that is, is the, the idea of reinventing ourselves. And especially you, you mentioned on that, um, on that podcast, Riggs, you know, needing to understand that software is a major component, you know, that's another, that's another, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, card up my sleeve is is doing app development and software and all those different types of things. And and I've seen firsthand just how powerful those aspects can be in terms of, of making or breaking solutions as a service and service-based businesses and all those different types of things. So it is exciting. Like it's it's a thing I haven't been able to uh to process yet, but you hit that button and I was like, ooh, yeah, that's yeah. a fun, that's a fun space to play in. That's a that's a neat area to be able to kind of bring attention to and be able to leverage within this space. So I think that's exciting too. There's all kinds of fun little you're gonna get your shot bits we can get into. There's quite like there's a ton of execution to, to do in the in the short term, but I think that we're going to be adding layers of what AJ is describing, not like build it then add it. I think we'll be adding layers of those yeah. of those aspects as we start to execute on that larger um, look, there are thousands of companies that are operating in generally in our space that um, are in that silver tsunami that kind of want a five to 10 year exit strategy that, that could never monetize their business, you know, sufficiently. You, can, you can't sell a company if you are the company, right? So you can't give a guy $12 million and say, see you later, right? Because he's going to say, great. And all his customers are going to go away. But being able to tie him to a longer term outcome, to bring in a protege, to run that division for us, this, you know, this now growing, burgeoning um, company and, and, and adding, you know, like its distinctive um, uniqueness to our own. Like we're going to be like the Borg, you know what I mean? Just gobbling, you know, very, there's a Trek geek thing for you, right? Six out of nine. Six out of nine. Resistance is (laughs) All right. So anyway, um, I, I think that that's going to be that, that's going to be uh, exciting. So let's, um, as he said, it's eight fifty seven. We'll we'll let it go. Thank you all. Yes, we're losing our audience. They're steadily eroding as they're realizing that it's way past their bedtime. Um, especially if they're in California, it's you know six p.m. It's definitely your, their bedtime in California. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure having you and. Um, and James, yes, do talk to Ken, absolutely. And Keith, I saw your, your comment early on about how California will take forever, whereas Water on Demand works now. And from your lips to God's ears, thank you all. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you again next week. It's going to be continue to be exciting times. Be good.